Happy Saturday, everybody. Let's hope you're having a great weekend. We're going to start off your day with a little morning coffee. Hey, deep-voiced guy who says a number between 82 and 84. Let's hit it. 83. Ah, yes, it's episode six of MLB Morning Coffee on a happy Saturday morning. We're recording to you live from the Ocean Avenue studios in the Excelsior District of San Francisco. My name is Greg Mraz. We are here. We are at it. We are giving you stuff on a Saturday morning. Hopefully, you're out on your deck having a cup of joe with your dog, looking at some trees, breathing in the fresh air and saying, ah, yes, baseball is back, baby. Yes, it is. We are going to give you a short daily ground segment, and then we're going to move into a little bit of a preview, not a full preview, but a little bit of a preview for the Dodgers and the Yankees this season, just because those two teams were most severely impacted the last two postseasons by the Dodgers and Red Sox sign stealing. Now we're going to focus mainly from an Astros perspective, but I think it's interesting to see where their championship windows are with both having pretty veteran teams moving forward into the season. Make sure you leave a rating, write a review, hit that subscribe button, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your local baristas. I know that Starbucks has got all that darn music playing all the time. Maybe they could have this podcast. Hey, maybe we could get Starbucks a little sponsor at some point. Heck, it'd give me some free coffee. But anywho, let's get to the Daily Grounds. Can I just say this to start? Baseball fans can be stupid, and the stupidity is showing per a story that came out yesterday with Astros outfielder Josh Reddick. Reddick spoke to the media and said that he's been getting death threats every day since the team's sign-stealing scandal came to light. Quote, you just see the first things in your suggested box and it says, I will kill your family, I will kill your kids, blah, 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 Reddick said. It's depressing to read because it's over a game of baseball. It's not worth that kind of drastic measure. As he enters his 12th Major League season and his fourth with the Astros, Reddick said that he expects to hear more from fans about the issue both on and off the field. Reddick continues, quote, There are ways to add security to a lot of places on the road, whether it be in our hotels, on the way to the field, at the field obviously, being a lot more hostile of an environment, be a little scarier, I think, also, at the hotels, because you see a lot of people line up at our hotels. They know where we stay. They know what times we usually go to the ballpark and what time we get back. For me, myself, having almost five-month-old boys, it is going to be pretty scary because my wife is going to want to go with them on a lot of road trips just because wanting to have my help in raising them and do our parenting thing. So it is definitely something you can think about every night. Now, granted, all of these players deserve the ire from the fans for what they did, but seriously, leave the families out of it. Leave their personal safety out of it. Nobody died because of this. Nobody was bodily harmed because of this. Fans, you're upset. We get it. And obviously, the integrity of the game was challenged. But please, don't do stupid things like this. Every time there's a controversy in sports and a villain has been made out, fans send death threats. Please, stop doing this. 
This is unbecoming of what sports fans, and in particular, American sports fans are. People need to stop with this. Josh Reddick has got newborns, relatively speaking. Don't put anyone's family in any of this. It's just sports. It's just a game. It is not something to turn into a life or death matter. Knock it off now. Good news out of Indians camp yesterday as Carlos Carrasco's MRI was revealed to be just a mild hip flexor strain and he's expected to be day-to-day per manager Terry Francona. He left team workouts on Wednesday because of a pain in his right leg. Team sources were initially worried that it was something worse than it actually was, but for Carrasco, it is a big relief that it is only just a mild hip flexor strain. One of the reasons why baseball was so concerned about his injury when it first came up is that he missed three months last year recovering from leukemia, obviously way more serious than a hip flexor, and people thought that it could end up being related to his past health troubles. The Indians traded Corey Kluber in the offseason. They traded Trevor Bauer during midseason last year and are going to be without Mike Clevenger, who's recovering from surgery due to an injury to his knee. So the Indians are already thin on the front lines in terms of their starting pitching. So for their sake and for Carrasco's, they still better hope that this injury is only for the short term. We can make the argument this offseason that MLB has done itself no favors for the future of growing the game. From the sign-stealing scandal to trying to contract 42 minor league baseball teams to the ridiculous playoff expansion from 5 to 7 teams. Well, fans in Toronto and all across Canada are going to have even more reason to be upset at MLB. It started coming out yesterday when MLB TV started auto-renewing subscriptions for the 2020 season, which, by the way, I believe you need to ask somebody and verify whether they want to renew or not before you charge that $121 for the yearly subscription. Anyways, they put a disclaimer in there that said that all Blue Jays games would be blacked out on MLB TV in Canada. So what you're telling me is that for an entire country, you can't watch a Blue Jays game on MLB TV. So you cannot watch a game for the lone team in your own damn country in your own damn country. So if you're a fan in Canada and you like watching teams that are just based in the United States, then of course you can watch those on MLB TV, but the fact that Blue Jays games are blacked out inside Canada is ridiculous. Now, I think that this might be some sort of ploy between Rogers Cable and Sportsnet and all of the cable outlets up there to try and centralize Blue Jays content toward their streaming platforms. But in itself, why would you pay for MLB TV if you couldn't do that? The whole point of streaming baseball games on MLB TV and paying that subscription is to be able to watch any baseball game that you want. I never understood a lot of the blackout rules. I remember when I was with the Clinton Lumber Kings and I was in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I wanted to watch a Chicago Blackhawks playoff game. Now, Bowling Green, Kentucky is about 50 miles north of Nashville, so it's obviously Nashville's market. So the Nashville game was on and then it was supposed to be I believe the Blackhawks and the Blues but for some reason both St. Louis and Chicago were both blacked out for the playoffs mind you in Bowling Green Kentucky so I couldn't watch that playoff game 
now you get to other places inside the United States that are like, well, if you're in the big sky country in Idaho, you're like halfway between Seattle and Denver, and those end up getting blacked out because your local cable provider, whether it's in Idaho or Montana or Oregon, they're going to put on a Mariner game or a Rocky game. In any event, I think blackout rules are stupid, and I think that it is worthless to pay for MLB TV if you can't get every single darn game on the streaming service. For those in Canada, I don't know what the solution is because there might be parts of Canada where you can't watch Blue Jays games because they may not be carried in a place like British Columbia or anywhere else in Western Canada. MLB needs to fix this and fix this now. The arbitration hearings for this year are complete, and Archie Bradley closed out the series of hearings with a win over his club, the Arizona Diamondbacks. He will receive a raise from $1.83 million to $4.1 million for the upcoming season. In the 12 arbitration cases that went to third-party arbiters, teams won their cases 7 out of 12 times. Some notable players that were involved in arbitration this year include Dodgers reliever Pedro Baez, Astros infielder Almedes Diaz, Marlins first baseman Jesus Aguilar, and Angels outfielder Brian Goodwin. That's in addition to a couple of cases we gave to you yesterday, which included JT Realmuto. Other guys that were involved in arbitration include Jack Peterson of the Dodgers, Brewers closer Josh Hader, and Rockies catcher Tony Walters. Arbitration to me is always one of those interesting things because it's intriguing to see how the valuation of a player goes up or down based on whatever year he had that season. In any case, the arbitration numbers set up well for guys that may or may not receive lengthy and hefty long-term extensions. For somebody like Archie Bradley, he's going to provide to be a high-value reliever for many years to come because he's got great stuff and he locates pretty darn well. And that is your Daily Grounds for Saturday, February 22nd. One of the things about the sign-stealing scandal that was interesting is that people talked about how much it affected the Dodgers in the 2017 and 2018 World Series and the Yankees in the 2017 and 2019 ALCS. The question I want to get into today, and this is going to be more of a transition into our previews of the season is what are the windows at this point for the Dodgers and the Yankees because on paper they're two of the best teams in baseball let's start first with the Dodgers they've had an unparalleled run of success in the NL West over the last decade yet in terms of titles they have nothing to show for it they have somebody in Clayton Kershaw that has been regarded as one of the best starting pitchers in baseball during his career however he has severely struggled in the postseason. You've got a stud in Walker Bueller that came up fast through the Dodgers system, a former first-round pick out of Vanderbilt, and has proved over his last two seasons that he has a chance to be an elite arm. They did lose Hinjin Ryu in free agency to the Blue Jays, and that's really going to hurt because Ryu, in my opinion, and in the opinion of the Cy Young voters, was one of the top three pitchers in baseball last season. You pick up David Price, who is an interesting acquisition because, as most people know, he was dumped by the Red Sox in order to dump salary. But for as much as Price has been criticized for his Red Sox career, it really hasn't been that bad. Let's take a look at Price's numbers in his four years with Boston. In 2016, 
He had a 3.99 ERA over 35 starts, a 17-9 and record, and he threw 230 innings. Now, 2017 is a lot of what he's going to be criticized for because he got hurt. He had a 3.38 ERA, but he only pitched in 74 and two-thirds innings. His last two seasons, 176 innings in 2018 and 107 innings last season. He got hurt for part of last season, and his 428 ERA was the second highest of his career behind only his 2009 season, which was his first full season in the big leagues. I think if David Price shows the type of gumption that he has had over the course of his career, he's going to be a pretty good number three starter. They also brought back Alex Wood, who they had traded away to the Reds in the deal that sent Yasiel Puig to the Reds, and that was also a salary dump move. Wood got hurt last year, and he only made seven starts. But Alex Wood, in his three years, three full years, I should say, with the Dodgers, had a very good run. His best year was 2017, where he finished top five in the Cy Young voting, I believe, he was 16-3 and with a 2.72 earned run average over 152 innings of work. Wood is a guy that is never going to overpower you, but is somebody that's going to throw a lot of strikes. He's going to be able to change speeds pretty well, and if he stays healthy, he's going to be a really good number four starter. And I'll actually confirm, really, wow, he only finished ninth in the Cy Young voting in 2017, but it was his only all-star appearance. He did have Major League Baseball's best winning percentage at 84.2%. Take that for what you will because he was 16-3. and Then you've got Dustin May, who's probably going to be your number five starter. May, who is known for his flowing red locks of hair, and I can say that as a bald guy, I am very jealous. May made four starts last year, 14 total appearances, and had a 3.63 ERA, but he is probably going to be a big part of that rotation. So looking at how the Dodgers' bullpen shapes up, you've got guys like Pedro Baez, Caleb Ferguson, Dennis Santana could show a little bit more, Ross Stripling. You signed Blake Trinan on a deal that probably you're hoping for a big bounce back from him. Uh, Blake Trinan in 2018 was probably the best closer in baseball with the Oakland A's. He had a .780 ERA, over 68 appearances. He had one of the nastiest sinkers alive. He had 100 strikeouts and 21 walks, but last season he completely bombed. He had a 4.91 ERA, which was the highest of his career, and the A's decided not to bring him back. So Trinan, you've signed on a flyer. Joe Kelly, who throws over 100 miles an hour, you're hoping for a better season from him. Kenley Jansen, obviously the Dodgers stalwart closer. And, and looking back, by the way, at Kelly's numbers, he had a 4.56 ERA last season. And in Boston, he had a great playoffs in 2018, but his ERA was also above 4.3. It was 4.39 in 65 in two-thirds innings. Kelly, actually, when you're looking back at his statistics, hasn't had consistently great years on the ERA end since his first two years in the bigs when he was with the Cardinals. His best year since leaving the Cardinals was 2017 with the Red Sox when he had a 2.79 ERA in 54 appearances. So the Dodgers pitching staff appears to be pretty good. You've got a couple of other flyers that may end up being a part of that rotation. You've got Jimmy Nelson, the former Brewers ace, that has been battling injuries, and they've taken a flyer on him. And then there's Julio Urias. 
And Julio Urias is a guy that I am very intrigued to see what the Dodgers carve out in terms of his role going forward. He was the stud Mexican lefty that burst onto the scene back in 2016. He had reached high A by the time he was a 17-year-old and made his big league debut at 19 years old. Urias in his rookie year had a 339 ERA over 15 starts, but was up and down between the minors in 2017, only pitched in 23 innings. In 2018, he was hurt for most of the year, only pitched in four innings, and last year he was a main part of the Dodgers' bullpen, making 37 appearances. He made eight starts, and he went 4-3 and three with a 249 earned run average. By all accounts, I think this Dodgers pitching staff is pretty good. I think losing Hin Jin Ryu is going to be a big part of it, just considering how impactful he was during last season. But if Kershaw can be Kershaw and Bueller can continue to be what he's been since he's gotten to the big leagues, I think the combination, whether it's some form of Price and Wood and May and Urias and Jimmy Nelson, Their rotation is going to be in pretty good shape, and I think their bullpen is going to be as well. Now let's go to the lineup. The infield is as good as you can imagine. you got Justin Turner at third, Corey Seager at short, Max Muncie over there manning first base, Kike Hernandez at second base along with sometimes Chris Taylor. You're going to get Gavin Lux up in there, who is the Dodgers' top prospect. Edwin Rios had proved last year that he could be a part of the lineup going forward. So that infield is set. Cody Bellinger, he's more than likely going to end up being your starting center fielder again with Mookie Betts having been acquired. He's in right field. Jock Peterson more than likely your left fielder. That could end up bringing A.J. Pollock off the bench. Or Pollock ends up as your center fielder and you decide to move Mookie Betts over to left and have Cody Bellinger play right. Betts and Bellinger, I think, are the corner outfielders if your plan is to have Pollock play center. That leaves Chris Taylor, who had been one of your main outfielders last year. I think he could end up as the main utility guy and also play a little bit of second base in the process. So this Dodgers lineup is going to look pretty darn good. You're going young at catcher. You've got the former first-round pick Will Smith and Austin Barnes. They did not bring Russell Martin back. I think this has got to be the year for the Dodgers to get over the top because look at the rest of the National League. What other elite team do you see in the National League? We'll get into the Reds in a future episode, but the Reds made a lot of improvements. On the St. Louis Cardinals end, I think that they've got a decent rotation. We got into a little bit of their rotation issues when talking about Miles Michaelis the other day, but... I think their rotation, for the most part, is going to be solid. However, their lineup may have some trouble scoring runs outside of Paul Goldschmidt. It's not a very powerful and impactful lineup, and you're going to have to rely on pretty good years from guys like Paul DeYoung and Matt Carpenter, and Carpenter in particular has really struggled over the past two seasons. The Brewers have traded away a lot of their guys. The Cubs have got a lot of issues on the pitching side of things. In the NL East, I think the Atlanta Braves are probably going to be the best team in that division just because they have the best lineup top to bottom of any of those teams. Washington obviously got hurt big time by Anthony Rendon leaving, but you still have a solid rotation with pieces like Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, who they just signed to a brand-new seven-year contract. They're going to have to rely on a lot of innings from aging veteran 
Anibal Sanchez, and they're going to have to hope that Patrick Corbin lives up to the money that they gave him last offseason. Their lineup, meaning the Nationals, is still going to be pretty solid, but losing a guy like Anthony Rendon is really going to hurt. They did pick up Starlin Castro. They brought back Howie Kendrick. They picked up Eric Thames to help fill a first baseman corner outfielder's role. They still have got Trey Turner, and their outfield is going to be pretty much set with Adam Eaton, Victor Robles, Juan Soto, Andrew Stevenson. So I still think that that team is going to be very good, but they're very young, and they don't have the same type of thump that the Dodgers do. In terms of teams in the NL West, I mean, the Giants are going to be terrible because they are starting from scratch in terms of a rebuild. They've got a lot of aging veterans that don't have the same impact that they once did. I don't think the Rockies are nearly as good as they were two years ago, and they still could trade Nolan Arenado. The Padres are on the up and up, but I don't know if they're necessarily ready to compete yet. So that leaves the Arizona Diamondbacks, in my opinion, as really the only team that I think is going to end up competing in the NL West with them. Now, let's take a look briefly at what the Diamondbacks did this offseason. They picked up Madison Bumgarner. They picked up Junior Guerra from the Brewers. They'll have a full season of Mike Leake under their belts. And then they're also going to have Robbie Ray coming back. And Luke Weaver will more than likely complete that rotation. I just don't see the Diamondbacks competing yet. I think that they are in a position to where they might compete, but you look at their infield right now, Eduardo Escobar is a solid option at third base. Jake Lamb is going to be kind of filling in all over. I expect Lamb to play a lot of first base. Cattell Marte has the chance to be a superstar. He'll be their starting second baseman. Nick Ahmed is going to be at shortstop. And then their outfield, they picked up Starling Marte, which I think is a huge pickup for them. It's going to be Daniel Peralta, Starling Marte, and Cole Calhoun. They also picked up Steven Vogt, which is a fantastic acquisition, number one, because I believe in Steven Vogt. That's a chant that the old Oakland A's right field gang used to have for him. And he's going to team up with Madison Bumgarner, who got to catch him in 2019. In any event, I just see the Dodgers as having to win the National League this year. They have to. And we'll get into, on a future episode, a little bit more in terms of the contracts and what to expect from the Dodgers in terms of who they will keep and who they will end up scuttering away after the year. Because even though the Dodgers have boatloads of money, they're still going to have to be budget conscious. My main thing is the amount of money that they have given to Kershaw, and they gave him a brand new deal after the 2018 season. And Kershaw, for what it's worth, isn't getting any younger. He doesn't have the same zip on his fastball as he used to. And quite frankly, his money is going to end up being a burden to the Dodgers going forward if he doesn't provide the same type of production that he's had across the course of his major league career. Now let's move on to the Yankees, and the Yankees are an interesting situation because on paper, they look to be like one of the best teams in the American League. Now, nobody can really doubt the Houston Astros still because of their talent, but I just think there are so many distractions around the Astros that it is all going to come toppling down on them this year. Now, we already pointed out on yesterday's episode the issues surrounding the Yankees and their rotation. So let's take a look at their depth chart for the upcoming season if they're healthy. You've got Garrett Cole. 
who they signed to the biggest contract a starting pitcher has ever received. You've got Masahiro Tanaka, who is getting older, but Tanaka has still been effective in his time as a New York Yankee. The key for him is staying healthy. Last season, he had a 4-4-5 ERA in 32 starts. By the way, those 32 starts are the most starts he's ever made in a Yankees uniform. In 2018, he had a 3.75 ERA. His best year ERA-wise was his first year with the Yankees when he had a 2.77 ERA. So in two of his last three seasons, by the way, it is worth noting, he's had an ERA above 4.4. In the modern day, and especially given what Yankee Stadium is, I don't think that is necessarily such a bad ERA, but it isn't preferable. Now, let's go to the rest of the rotation. Luis Severino is going to be a part of it once he's healthy. James Paxton will be a part of it once he's healthy. They had to bring back J.A. Happ, and Happ is a good number four, number five starter and will end up being serviceable in the short term. That leaves another guy who will more than likely start the season in the rotation, Jordan Montgomery, who we don't know a ton about outside of his 2017 season when he went 9-7 and with a 3.88 ERA in 29 starts. He made only six starts in 2018. That was also thanks to the acquisition of a guy like Paxton. And last year, he only made two appearances. So Montgomery is a guy that's a former Yankee starter that is going to have to come back into the rotation, at least for the short term. This lineup is pretty darn good. Gary Sanchez is going to be your catcher. That was to be expected. Your outfield's going to consist of Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge in the corners. In center field, it'll be Aaron Hicks and Brett Gardner somewhat switching off, though I expect Hicks, if he's healthy, to get a majority of the playing time. The infield, you're going to have Gio Urshela, Miguel Andujar. I think they'll split a lot of time at third base. Glaber Torres, the stud at shortstop. DJ LeMahieu more than likely will play more second base this year than he did first base during the playoffs. And first it's going to be a combo of Luke Voigt and Mike Ford. It'll be intriguing to see how that ends up playing out over the course of the season. The Yankees' bullpen is still going to be pretty darn good. Aroldis Chapman comes back. Zach Britton is your setup guy. They're hoping for a better year from Adam Anavino, Tommy Canely. Sessa and Loisica are going to be a part of it as well. So Chad Green, I forgot Chad Green. You can't forget Chad Green. No, cannot forget Chad Green, who is a guy that a lot of people will consider to be one of their openers. So the Yankees lineup looks as solid as anybody's in the division, as well as their rotation, if healthy. Keyword, if healthy, and that's going to be the biggest question for the Yankees because Masahiro Tanaka is getting older, and J.A. Happ and Jordan Montgomery are not exactly what you would call front-end starters. The guys you signed to be front-end starters are Garrett Cole and, well, you didn't sign James Paxton, you picked him up. So their ideal rotation is Cole, Tanaka, Severino, Paxton, and then probably J.A. Happ. But if Severino's out for a bit and Paxton we know is going to be out for a bit, it's going to leave a lot on Happ and Montgomery and Tanaka to probably perform to levels of his past. In this division, though, I mean, the Red Sox traded away Mookie Betts. They traded away David Price. Their bullpen itself is not very good. Toronto is rebuilding. Baltimore is really rebuilding. But the other team you got to watch for in this division is the Tampa Bay Rays. And we're going to try and do some more team previews as the season gets started. We'll, we'll go through position by position 
and get a little bit more. But I wanted to just use this segment today on this beautiful Saturday morning in order to give a little perspective in terms of what the journeys are going to be like for the Yankees and the Dodgers, two teams that were very much wronged by the sign-stealing scandal and how they can get themselves back to the big leagues. There's a lot of young talent in Tampa, most of it out of the bullpen, where they are big fans of the openers. They've got studs such as Blake Snell, who I think is going to have a bounce-back year. They also have guys like Diego Castillo and Jose Alvarado, who just throw absolute gas. Charlie Morton is still going to be a big part of what their rotation's going to do. You're going to see the knuckleballer Brent Honeywell more than likely come up. I forgot about Tyler Glasnow. Tyler Glasnow is a huge part of what that team does. Mike Zanino is one of their catchers. And then an infield that's led by some pretty young studs. They also picked up Manuel Margot from the Padres in the offseason. You've got Kevin Kiermeyer and Austin Meadows coming back. Hunter Renfro is going to be a part of their outfield as well, and I think he could end up being a really big acquisition down the line. This Rays team is young, and they're not going anywhere. So that's going to provide a pretty big problem for the Yankees, I think, in that division, more so than anybody else in the division is. When you look at the rest of the American League, I think the A's are still going to be good. I think the Angels will be a lot better. I still think the Astros are going to be good, but I, I still think that karma's going to be coming their way. In the AL Central, the Twins, they're probably going to win the division. I would pick the White Sox to be second at this point, but I don't see the White Sox making the playoffs yet. I think they've picked up a lot of solid pieces, but more than likely they're still probably a year away from competing. There's still a lot of question marks in their rotation, but their lineup, at least Chicago's, is going to be pretty solid. But the Yankees, this sets up pretty well for them to be going to the World Series for the first time since 2009. I just don't see another team on paper, if healthy, again, if healthy, that's going to compete with the Yankees. And I know that the fan base there is absolutely dying to get back to the World Series. And based on the sign-stealing scandal... You could make the argument that they could have been in the World Series in 2017 and most certainly in 2019. I think a lot of people believed that the Yankees were better than the Astros last year in terms of their talent and simply because of the fact that the records were so tight, the Astros end up getting the home field and that made all the difference in the world. And really, when we talk about what's happened with the Astros, having the home field and giving their technology at home, it made all the difference in the world. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But again, the Yankees, if they stay healthy, and they're able to make sure that Severino and Paxton are back in their rotation for the stretch run, I think that they're all going to be fine. So that's going to do it for us here on MLB Morning Coffee. Make sure that you hit that subscribe button, write a review, leave a rating, tell your friends, do what you can to help support the show. This has been Greg Mraz saying happy Saturday to you and yours, and we'll see you in the AM.